Hello, I'm Lina Khmudu. Welcome to Health Chat. We start today with some encouraging news regarding COVID-19. The World Health Organization reports that the fourth wave of the coronavirus pandemic in Africa is flattening in most countries. According to the UN Health Agency, Africa appears to be emerging from its fourth pandemic wave driven by the Omicron variant, which quickly overtook the Delta variant to become the dominant strain. And if this trend continues, it will mark the shortest surge so far on the continent. But people should remain vigilant. More than 10 million people have been infected with the coronavirus in Africa and over 230,000 lost their lives, according to the WHO. While the continent appears to be overcoming the latest wave of the pandemic, vaccination rates remain low. Only about 10% of Africa's population is fully vaccinated. Now let's go to Kenya, where a video game company has launched a football game that encourages young men to be active during the pandemic and help stop gender-based violence. Surveys show about 40% of Kenyan women will face gender-based violence. Leni Ruvaga reports from Nairobi. Gamer Jamila Odhiambo introduces the junior football team at Mavare Youth Sports Association to a new kind of football game with a special purpose. Futa, Swahili slang for football, takes gamers from the metaverse into the real world where they earn points by exercising and learning about gender-based violence. It's really interesting because in, when you're playing the game, even the men can learn how to handle the women. They can learn how to go through challenges that affect us as girls and as women. And yeah, we're good to go. Everybody's okay. Usiku Games CEO Jay Shapiro says Kenyan coders partnered with GIZ Regional Project Sport to develop Futa exclusively for Africa and for free. Players score points by wearing Google Feet to monitor their exercise and answering questions on issues related to gender-based violence. So we're trying to combine the fact that the youth love football and love games and taking those two and putting them together to try and teach some social values around good sportsmanship, fairness and trying to reduce gender-based violence. Rights group Equality Now says about 40% of women in Kenya in their lifetimes will face sexual and gender-based violence. The Kenyan Human Rights Commission's Irene Soila says it's a problem that everyone needs to address. We need to create champions of uh, SGBV, and that is from both genders, both men and women. We also need to create opportunities uh, for people because the poverty is really one of the, uh, of the escalators of SGBV. So let's create opportunities. The other thing is also creating awareness around SGBV. People do not know that it is a major problem. The gamer Odhiambo hopes Futa will educate Kenyan youth on gender-based violence and keep both their minds and bodies healthy. Lenny Ruvaga for VOA News, Nairobi. Still in Kenya, a community health service in Africa's largest urban slum is helping poor people get affordable emergency services during the pandemic. The Kibera Community Emergency Response Team in Nairobi is offering a $1 monthly fee for access to emergency services, including an ambulance. Victoria Amunga has more from Nairobi. 
Poor people like those living in Nairobi's Kibera slum find it difficult to access emergency health care, even where public services such as clinics and hospitals are provided within the slums. The high cost effectively bars most Kibera residents from calling an ambulance. It's a challenge Moses Omondi, who was himself born and brought up in Kibera slum, has undertaken. He formed a community emergency response team that provides services to slum residents for a fee of one U.S. dollar a month, including ambulance transport to the hospitals. If you have an ambulance, you can easily access an hospital. Because no hospital or no hospital should deny you services when you've been taken there by, by an ambulance. It means it's an emergency case that needs an emergency attention. Annette Okumu is one of about 300 subscribers to the ambulance service. She says she received potentially life-saving care inside an ambulance after an accident last year. The condition I was in wasn't that good. I was really having a very bad headache. I was bleeding. So maybe I could have overbled if I couldn't have gotten the first aid services. Non-profit groups and other benefactors support the service. So far, there is one ambulance for an estimated 250,000 residents in the slum. Officials hope to increase the number to five. Ambulance services in Kenya ordinarily cost up to 400 US dollars depending on the needs of a patient, such as a ventilator and the distance involved. Officials say arrangements that provide public access to affordable emergency services are especially important during the COVID-19 era. Judith Okech is the head of the Ambulex Kenya service. It's a service that people are acknowledging that um, they, they very much need. Um, and you'll realize that um, people living within such settings, some of them have never called for an ambulance because they know that if they do call for an ambulance, it's never going to get there or they'll be asked for, you know, a lot of money that they're not able to afford. Residents say the community service emergency response team offers hope they will have better access to health care they need. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi. Now to Tanzania. As cases of gender-based violence have increased in the country during the pandemic, some women are learning ways to fight back, including using their fists. Charles Kambi in Dar es Salaam explains. Leila Yusuf is learning how to box. She trains every evening at a camp and says the sport helps keep her safe from any kind of gender-based violence. Come if I encounter a problem such as any kind of gender-based violence or it happens to another person, this sport helps a lot in self-defense, not only for me, but in defending others too. Data from Tanzanian Statistics Bureau shows that 40% of Tanzanian women and girls between 15 and 49 have experienced physical violence in their lifetime. 17% have experienced sexual violence. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, reports of violence against women and girls have increased. When COVID-19 arrived, there were many cases of gender-based violence, but there is no good way of documenting them. The cases increased and there were other general cases of violence. As COVID-19 has slowed in Tanzania, cases are still coming in, but they have not been categorized as being caused by COVID-19. COVID-19. 
tuko katika hali ambayo ni salama bado yale matukio yanayokuja hakuna ambayo yamewekwa kitakwimu kwamba haya ni matatizo ya ukatili yaliyotokana na covid 19 for the women learning to box to defend themselves some are loving it says a boxing coach lakini kila mtu anapokuja anakuja na nia yake there are those who come to learn only self-defense so as to be able to defend themselves when they face any challenges in our streets. But it reaches a point as they continue practicing that they love it and come to me saying they want to make boxing their career. Leila is one of those. Although she doesn't have any fights scheduled as of yet, in the meantime, she continues to train every day and is encouraging other women to learn to box as a way to defend themselves. Charles Kombe, for VOA News, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. The worst drought in Somalia in decades has millions of people dependent on food aid and thousands flocking to cities to escape hunger. At makeshift shelters on the outskirts of the capital, displaced people face cramped conditions and poor sanitation in the middle of COVID-19 pandemic. Mohamed Sheikh Noor reports from Mogadishu. This is the Najah camp for internally displaced persons on the outskirts of Mogadishu. Many fled their villages and came here to escape severe drought conditions. Mother of four, Muhibba Adam, is preparing a meal for her young children at the camp. She fled drought in her village in Lower Shabele, some 90 kilometers away. We had no rain for two consecutive seasons. Drought has devastated both livestock and farming, so we had to leave. We spent one day trekking all the way from Audiglech to this neighborhood in Dainile. But conditions here are also difficult. 56-year-old Noor Hassan Ali and his family fled their rural homes too. He looks weak as he navigates through the camp's shelters. I was uprooted by drought and the suffering that we encountered and during two seasons without rains. My livestock began to die because of the long drought. I had to run away with my children and finally reached here. Here I don't have anything and my children are hungry and don't have anything to eat. Faiza Omar oversees the camp and works to keep track of the families arriving daily. The Nija camp is home to 370 families who have recently been displaced by the drought and whose livestock have also been wiped out by the drought. So far, these people have not received any assistance, either from the government or from aid agencies. They lack shelter from the sun and the cold. They also do not have a place from which they can shield themselves in case it rains. The drought and influx of people on the outskirts of Mogadishu is a burden on the city's health care system. City hospitals are still grappling with an upsurge of COVID-19 infections and poor living conditions are another source of worry for health officials. This drought comes at a time when we are grappling with the burden of recurrence of COVID-19, so this drought has only added a further burden on the already existing COVID-19 problem that has caused sickness and death. The drought has its own pain and plight as it causes the spread of the disease. Somalia's government and UN humanitarian agencies have warned that millions are in urgent need of food assistance due to drought and new strains of COVID-19.
Officials say thousands of refugees living in camps near Mogadishu remain vulnerable to waterborne disease due to poor sanitation, congestion, and access to clean water. Hamishaknur for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken travels to Kiev this week to reinforce the U.S. commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity as tension continues over the Russian troop buildup along the Russia-Ukraine border. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Welcome back to Health Chat. Now to Botswana. While the country's reported COVID-19 cases continue to drop, there has been a sharp increase in deaths. This week, Botswana recorded 17 deaths in a three-day period. From Gabarone, reporter Kondisi Dube has the detail. In December, Botswana Health Authorities indicated while reported cases were increasing, hospitalizations and deaths due to the new Omicron variant of the coronavirus had remained low. A recent study conducted in California reveals there are 91% fewer deaths from Omicron than the Delta variant. But Botswana is seeing a shift after the country recorded 40 deaths since January 6, the COVID-19 task force reported. In its three-day update released Thursday, the task force says 17 deaths were recorded between Monday and Wednesday, bringing the overall death toll to 2,514. With a rise in the death toll, Botswana's acting director of health services, Kumosi Bonem, says booster shots will be made available to adults. We've been given the green light by the medicines regulator Bombra to give booster shots. Anyone who has been vaccinated for more than six months can get the booster shots. Scientists say booster shots are at least 80% effective against severe Omicron. In Habron, clinical laboratory scientist Tabani Nguwe says the rise in COVID-19-related deaths could be due to more people catching the highly infectious variant. It is difficult to tell what could be behind the increase in deaths. Studies have shown that Omicron variant is less aggressive and leads to shorter hospitalization. However, more and more people have been infected with Omicron, and we now need to put these deaths into context and analyze the trends more. Move is there's a possibility of another variant as the virus continues to evolve. It is a fast-changing landscape. We might say a few weeks or even months down the line discover there is a new variant behind the deaths. While least we still think it is Omicron. COVID-19 evolves so fast and this is highly unpredictable. Botswana has vaccinated at least 70% of its adult population, while less than 10% of Africa's population overall has received the jab. Last month, the government announced it will start vaccinating children between 12 and 17. For VOA, this is Mkondi Sidube in Haboroni, Botswana. South African University students are fighting mandates that require they be vaccinated against COVID-19 before returning to the classroom. Even students who have the vaccine and want others to get it are against the policy and the students' union is threatening protests across the country. Linda Givatesh reports from Johannesburg. Universities across South Africa are gearing up for a new school year as the country emerges from its fourth wave of the coronavirus pandemic. 
and COVID vaccines will be a prerequisite for many returning to campus. The South African Union of Students has warned protests of vaccine mandates are looming. At the University of Johannesburg, students say they're angry that they weren't consulted and claim the policies infringe on their constitutional rights to bodily integrity. Students must go to vaccinate under their free will. There's no one who is in a bio bubble. So whether you are vaccinated or not, the moment you leave campus to do your grocery shopping or go anywhere else, you, you come across uh, people who are vaccinated and who are not vaccinated. Less than half of South African adults have been inoculated, and there's no national vaccine mandate in place. The reasons behind vaccine hesitancy are complex. Students say their decisions are made on personal preference, cultural and religious beliefs, despite there being no evidence such methods protect against COVID-19. From the first wave, I've stuck to African home remedies, Um, I haven't been hospitalized, I've never tested positive, and I think because that worked for me thus far, I will continue with that remedy. People who have vaccinated are said to have been protected from the virus, and they should find ease in that. They shouldn't be bothered by the fact that someone else is choosing to not vaccinate and exercise that right. Vaccines do protect people, especially against severe disease. But one of the country's top doctors says unvaccinated people pose other risks beyond catching or spreading COVID-19. They are much more likely to end up in hospital, in ICU, and to die of COVID-19. And ending up in hospital is not just a burden that individual assumes. It's a burden that is shared across society, both in terms of the funding of the healthcare system, as well as other impacts that materialize in that hospital when there's needing to start to cut back on, as an example, elective surgery because healthcare facilities are coming under pressure. Which is why he's calling for tougher measures on those resisting the shots. All choices come with consequences. And that's the whole point, is that a mandatory vaccination doesn't mean that we're going to tie you down or put you in prison uh, if you choose not to be vaccinated. It should come with consequences, just like there are consequences to every other choice that one makes in life. For unvaccinated students, it's losing access to campus. The University of Johannesburg said in a statement that exemptions will be considered on health or religious grounds. Exempt students will have to provide a negative COVID test each week. If they aren't granted an exemption, students fear what being barred from campus will mean about their future. If I'm refusing to vaccinate because it goes against my will and whatever it is that I believe and the institution wants to protect me, then we must find means to find common ground. If it means I have to go for testing every week, if it means I have to screen every two hours, then so be it. But means must be made. They can't take away my right to an education because I don't want to vaccinate. The University of Johannesburg says students can always regain access to campus once they get their shot. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. Medical authorities in South Africa say the Christmas and New Year holiday period has so far done little to increase the severity of the country's fourth wave of COVID-19 driven by the Omicron variant. Up until recently, South Africa has been the epicenter of the Omicron outbreak. Local scientists were the first to detect it in November. Previous vacation periods have resulted in dramatic spikes in COVID-19 infections, hospitalizations and deaths as millions of people travelled and interacted around South Africa. This time around, that's not happening. The severity in terms of the amount of oxygen that's needed, the number of patients that are requiring ventilation is a lot lower than what we've seen in other waves. 
Dr. Michelle Groom is Head of Public Health Surveillance and Response at South Africa's National Institute for Communicable Diseases. We know that over the holiday periods there are slightly lower testing numbers, but I think the positivity rates have been steadily decreasing in all of the provinces. And so I think that's quite a good indicator that we're on the downward slope of this fourth wave. If it was just that people weren't accessing testing, we would still expect the positivity rates to be very high. But I think the positivity rates definitely are coming down at the moment. So I think that's a very positive sign. One of South Africa's leading infectious diseases specialists Fitz University's Professor Shabir Mahdi estimates up to 40% of the population of 60 million have contracted Omicron. But he adds counting numbers of infections is academic. Our focus really needs to be on hospitalization and death. The most important is that there's been a complete uncoupling of the cases and hospitalization rate and death. In the South African context, says Mahdi, Omicron's not sending many people to hospital and is causing far fewer deaths. This time last year, we were looking at least two, two, two to three times greater number of hospitalizations taking place. And the number of people that were dying of COVID-19, including as an example, during the course of the Delta wave, which was our third wave, was about 10 times greater than the number of people that have been dying of COVID-19 during the course of this particular wave. Groom says it's possible deaths will drop even further in coming months. This lower level of deaths compared to what we've seen previously, I think is really encouraging. And I think we can get those deaths even lower if we can just, you know, get more people to vaccinate. Booster vaccinations are, are now available, and especially for those who just got the one dose of Johnson & Johnson. I think definitely to get the second dose of Johnson & Johnson as soon as possible. And obviously those with Pfizer, you know, when they're eligible to have their booster dose as well. And for those who haven't vaccinated, because we know that vaccination and prior infection are going to really protect against the severe disease outcomes like hospitalization and death. Mardi says reasons for the apparent mildness of disease that Omicron's causing in South Africa include extensive immunity in the population, both because of vaccination and infections during the first three waves. I do believe that the high percentage of the population have been infected with Omicron much greater than the number of cases that have been recorded. So there's immunity that's also evolving against Omicron, which will protect against infection due to Omicron because of people having been infected. Groom urges people not to become blasé because Omicron's less severe in South Africa and not to rely on natural immunity to protect them against severe disease. Rely on vaccines is her message. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Despite having the highest number of COVID infections in Africa nearly two years into the pandemic, fewer than half of South Africa adults have been vaccinated. South Africa's government has been reluctant to order vaccine mandates, but private companies are stepping in to encourage people to get the jab. Once again, here is Linda Givatesh reporting from Johannesburg. Thousands of COVID-19 vaccination sites have opened across South Africa, but the flow of patients has stalled. From the peak of over 1 million vaccines administered in one week in August, numbers have plummeted to under 150,000 last week. The decline comes as the country fell far short of government targets to inoculate 67% of the population by the end of 2021. 
The manager of the Parkhurst Clinic in Johannesburg says dispelling misinformation could encourage more people to get their shots. Providing more health education to our community. Or why vaccinate? What is the importance of vaccinations? Giving more information will assist, will reduce those, those kinds of resistance and myths about the, the vaccine. Companies are taking steps beyond public education. Discovery is the largest private health insurer in South Africa. The company encouraged vaccination of its clients by offering rewards points and cash back on life insurance premiums. In September, Discovery also mandated its 11,000 employees be vaccinated, and the policy worked. Staff vaccination rates jumped from 22% to 94% within three months. Discovery is well-versed and uh, has done extensive work over the years around the behavioral psychology and incentives and rewards for, for getting people to behave in particular particular ways and supporting that, that those behavioral changes. But those behavioral changes only get you to a certain point. But once you start getting to the 70% thresholds, you need uh, firmer levers to get people over the, the finish line. Whelan said employees overwhelmingly welcome the mandate and the reassurance it brings for going back to work. But he said 2 to 3% of employees have remained resistant. As more companies introduce similar policies, legal battles have been raised, arguing it infringes on individual rights. The country is still waiting to see how the courts will rule on the issue. We know from previous cases during the pandemic that these competing community rights to life and health weigh extremely heavily and can warrant the infringement of individual rights in certain situations, but particularly in the context of a pandemic as serious as COVID-19. So it is very likely that va vaccine mandates will be found to be constitutional in South Africa. Without faster uptake, the country's hard-won vaccine supply will expire. In November, the government asked Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer, as well as the U.S. government, to delay sending more vials. The same month, President Cyril Ramaphosa warned widespread mandates were being considered. We've reached a point where our supply of vaccines outstrips the demand for them. So we need to get that demand back up so that we ensure that all the vaccines we have at our disposal are utilized and that we reach that goal of population-level immunity. She says mandates can play a strong role in increasing vaccination rates if other barriers like transportation to clinics and time off work are tackled as well. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. Now to the U.S. right here where adults usually catch one or two common colds a year. There are usually little more than an annoyance, but new research suggests they may offer some protection from a virus that's much more dangerous. Henry Ridgewell reports from London. It's a question that has puzzled scientists. Why are some people able to resist coronavirus infection despite prolonged exposure? So researchers at Imperial College of London set out to test a theory that a type of white blood cells called T-cells produced by the human body to fight the common cold could offer some protection. Report co-author Professor Ajit Lalvani. Previous infection with uh, common cold coronaviruses, so these are uh, distantly related cousins of SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID. So that such endemic common cold causing coronaviruses, that infection with those uh, might induce T-cells that would be able to cross-recognize um, and then attack the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so that was the theory we set about to test. The study began in September 2020, before any mass vaccination programs and before most people had been infected with COVID. 
Scientists tested the blood of 52 people who lived in the same household as someone infected with the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID. Half of those sampled contracted COVID, while half did not. And what we found was that those contacts who had pre-existing T-cells uh, that, um, that were induced by common cold coronavirus but cross-recognized and attack SARS-CoV-2, people with such T-cells didn't get infected. Current vaccines are designed to trigger an immune response that targets the spike proteins on the outside of the coronavirus that are able to mutate and escape immunity. In contrast, the T-cells we discovered that mediate this protection are directed against proteins in the core of the virus, internal proteins, and these proteins are much less changeable. So essentially, our findings provide the blueprint uh, for developing a universal T-cell-inducing vaccine to protect people against current and all future variants of COVID. An exciting prospect, but development of such a vaccine remains some way off. Meanwhile, the report authors emphasise that no one should rely on a common cold infection to provide immunity against COVID and say vaccination offers the best protection. Henry Richwell for VUA News, London. That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Check us out at facebook.com slash voahealthchat and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you all for joining us. I'm your host, Lenore Mudu in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe and strive to make every day a healthy day. Stay informed and up to date Monday through Friday at 3.30 and 17.05 UTC with VOA's International Edition. Our correspondents bring you the news from around the globe. Plus, we delve into the context of the day's biggest stories with interviews with experts that place the story into context to understand why it matters. VOA's International Edition.